preference. And let's be honest, the temptation for all of us to put our hope in our budgets, in our preferences, in our strategies, in our relationships, in fill in the blank, is really, really high. Uh, We can easily rely on those things to think that those things, my relationships, my money, my comfort, that those things will produce the kind of life that I want. In, In actuality, the kind of life that we want is a life that we put our hope and trust in Jesus, right? And so as we begin to dive into the book of Colossians, as Paul's opening up this letter uh, to this people who he's never met but loves deeply, um, this is what he's going to start the letter off with, is, is thanking God um, for the kind of church they are, for the church that they are, a church who puts their hope and trust in Jesus, and that is, it, that is evidenced by the way in which, in which they live and the way in which they follow. So I'm going to give you right now the summary statement of, of where we're going today um, and, and what Paul, I think, is hopefully going to try to communicate to us in these verses. Uh, but here's where we're going today. A church that bears fruit is a church that has Christ as the object of her faith, places her present and future hope in him, and expresses that through loving others the way in which we've been loved by him. And so our hope is to be a church that produces the kind of fruit um, that is evidenced by our faith and trust in Jesus. So go ahead and pick up with me. Look back with me in verses 3 through 5. I'm going to reread these. Paul says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. So as was customary for Paul in a lot of his letters, um, after his initial greetings uh, to the Colossians of verse 1 2, which, by the way, as a side note, Ryan preached that last week. Um, those sermons are available on our website, so redeemersangel.com. Uh, if you miss a sermon, you can look on those. But anyways, Paul, like I said, he, after he introduces um, this, uh, introduces himself and, and gives an initial greeting, um, he then, as was customary, goes into just a prayer of thankfulness. He's thanking this church for so many different things. He's thanking them for how their faith um, has been evidenced through the hope and love that they have uh, for one another. And Paul, the, the interesting thing about this letter is that Paul is deeply connected to this group of people, yet he's never met them. See, Paul never met the Colossians. He actually has never went to Colossae. But rather, um, you, might have mentioned, you might have seen that at the end in verse 7, that he mentions a man by the name of Epaphras. He calls Epaphras this faithful servant. And so chances are, what happened was Epaphras uh, was interacted with Paul, and maybe when he was in prison, and came to know Jesus through his ministry, and then Paul commissioned him to go back to Colossae to plant this church. Right, so, so Epaphras um, is the one, is the one who was the feet on the ground, who planted, who helped plant the church in Colossae, and was the one in which they received the gospel from. They were believers because of the faithful servanthood of Epaphras. But here's the thing: Paul is deeply encouraged and thankful for this group of believers that he has never met. But yet, despite the fact that he's never met them, he still feels this deep obligation to help guide them towards truth and address the issues that are going on uh, within this letter. 
And it's one of these things that sometimes we can read these initial uh, greetings from Paul and be like, yeah, 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 Paul, that's good, that's good. Let's, okay, we know you're thankful. We get it, we get it. You, you love people, we get it. Uh, let's just get to the meat. But what this greeting actually does, it sets the tone for where he's going for the rest of the letter. He's actually setting the tone for where he's going. And his words of thankfulness um, um, actually flesh out um, where, what, he's, what he's going to be addressing in this letter, which is Jesus is supreme. And so, so but he, what he does in these initial greetings, that he, address, he brings up themes that are very common that he does in other letters, faith, hope, and love, right? We, we've heard him talk about that in Corinthians. Uh, he also talks about that in Thessalonians. And so, so this is not an uncommon theme for Paul to bring up. These are themes of faith, hope, and love. And so how do these things work together? How do we see um, that, how do faith, hope, and love interconnect with one another? Um, and, and, and how does that uh, set the tone for where he's going? Well, first off, it's, it's important for us to note that this idea of faith, hope, and love all revolve around the person and work of Jesus. That the object of their faith, the object of their love for one another, their object of their hope is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. And let's touch on faith first. First, So faith really is the undergirding of all of them. Right? Hope and love are both things that are rooted in faith. Right? You don't get a gospel fruit of the gospel fruit of love for one another, the gospel fruit of hope of things to come, unless you first put your faith, you first have faith in Christ, right? Right, say, so just like you don't get a tree without the roots, you don't get the gospel fruit of love and hope without faith. So if the object of our faith is Jesus, then what does that mean? If the object of, of our faith, as he says, um, we thank God because we've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, what does that mean? What is that saying? What is that communicating? It's communicating that at the end of the day, the only reason that we have reconciliation with God, the only reason that we have salvation, the only reason that we were pulled out of our sins and able to have relationship with God was because of Jesus the resurrection, the, his life, death, and resurrection were the means by which accomplished our salvation. So when we put our faith in Jesus, what we're essentially communicating is that, hey, God, I have nothing to bring to the table. It is you and you alone that have reconciled me back to the Father and brought perfect union with you because of Jesus. Nothing else, right? Only Jesus. There we go. We're going to hear us say that a lot, right? So what does he mean? That, this is what he means when he says that Jesus is the object of their faith, and he's thankful for that. And so like I said, it's so important that right out of the gate, he's mentioning this. He's mentioning this. Like I said, if this letter, and a big theme of this letter is the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus in all things. And so it's important that right out of the gate, he's mentioning and he's commending them and affirming them because of their faith. Because at the end of the day, their faith in Christ is the most important central thing. And it's interesting that he does that. What this prayer of thankfulness actually does, it, it puts into perspectives the other heresies, the other false doctrines that were floating around uh, in, in, among them, right? The, the false doctrines that said, hey, what, like I said, the Colossians, they had, root, they had a culture in which they, were they could have easily been influenced by Roman paganism or uh, Judaism. They could have been influenced in a, in a doctrine that promoted, hey, it's Jesus plus worshiping this other false god. 
It's Jesus plus following the law. It's Jesus plus trying to tap into some spiritual secret realm um, that is going to get you closer to God, right? So these were a lot of the false doctrines and heresies that were starting to float around. And so when Paul's commending them for their faith, he's saying, hey, we're so thankful that you see it's Jesus and Jesus only. Or to bring it to the 21st century for us, right? We live in a very postmodern world that says, hey, Jesus is just a way. Jesus plus some other things is fine. Or it's, it, we, we, we live in a world that says, hey, Jesus is just the means for you to get what you want, right? He's just kind of the facade. And so he's always going to agree with you, the, the, the pocket Jesus. He's always going to agree with what you say, right? Which really is just you worshiping yourself. Let's be honest. Uh, or, or, or we say Jesus plus voting for the right person. Jesus plus our own preferences. Jesus plus, right? We, it's easy for us to be tempted to add Jesus to something, but what he is saying here is that the object of our faith is in Christ, in Christ alone. You don't need to add anything. So what are we tempted to add, though? Uh, yesterday, my, my sister-in-law sent me a thing that actually exists called mushroom coffee. Let, let that sink in for a second. That's a thing. And what this is, is, is it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's grounded up mushrooms mixed with grounded up coffee beans blended together for some kind of coffee. Now, here's the thing. I know there's a running jab at me for giving you guys a hard time for creamer, and we can disagree on that, but can we all agree on the fact that mushrooms don't belong in coffee? Can I get an Amen. Amen. I don't care, I don't care uh, what the health benefits might be or what the doctors say, how can, like, fungus doesn't belong in my coffee. I'm just going to say it, right? You don't need to add anything to coffee, uh, a coffee bean. Like I said, where we disagree might be the creamer, and that's fine. Uh, we can still be brothers and sisters, but we can all agree on the fact that mushrooms don't belong. In the same way, nothing belongs to our faith in Jesus. In Jesus. We don't need to add anything in God's eyes, Jesus is the object of our faith, and he is the one who reconciles us back to God. And adding anything else to our salvation, Jesus plus anything else, doesn't do any good, and it only skews our vision of who Jesus actually is. It distorts it. It gives us an imperfect picture. And so he's, this is, this, so he's thankful for this faith that they have. And he affirms and he encourages it. I'm so glad that you had this faith in Jesus. And, 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 what, and what, what specifically is about this faith that he's thankful for that it produces? We'll look back in verse 4 and 5. He says, Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He is thankful that they are a church that has expressed their faith in Jesus and Jesus alone in a way that they love one another and what they hope in, what they put their hope in. And actually, as the sentence reads, uh, the hope is actually the motivator for their love and faith. It's the motivator. It's, it's the thing that undergirds it. How? How? So, so first off, so the question then becomes is, if, if, if that's the case, um, what is the hope that Paul is talking about here matters? What, what does he mean when he uses the word hope here? What kind of hope does the gospel produce that he's talking about that ultimately motivates and undergirds their faith and love? It, it, note first off what he says. Where is the location of the hope? The hope laid up in heaven. 
That ought to, that if we look at the scriptures, that ought to tell us something. What that tells us is that the hope that we have in the gospel that's laid up in heaven for us is a hope that is not contrived or man-made. It's an eternal hope. It's a hope that transcends where we are. It's eternal, and it's not stemmed from something in this world. Um, Peter actually kind of helps bring, uh, bring up some clear understanding uh, in 1 Peter uh, 3-5. through 5. I think it's going to be up there. He says it like this. He's kind of talking about this hope. He says, according to his great mercy, being Jesus's, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And, and so what he's saying is, is that we don't have to worry about any circumstance or situation or person or government or thing or relationship that could, some, there is no threat. Because our, our hope is an eternal one, there is no man-made temporal threat that could take that away. Because the hope it has eternal, uh, has an eternal foundation, has an eternal uh, root, and so nothing of this world can take it. And in fact, he even says that God is the one who's guarding it for us. He is the one who's helping us and, he- and is holding on to us. No one can overtake God. So if our hope is laid up in heaven, if this hope is laid up in heaven, what that means is saying that nothing can can take it away. If we've placed our faith in Jesus, right, and he has now seated us at, 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 with him, we are now seated in the heaven with him, as Paul says in Ephesians, right, then that means there is something about our hope that's eternal. And because it's eternal, like I said, we don't have to worry about uh, something taking it away, right? When we are weak, he is helping us. When we feel that sin is crouching at the door, ready to devour us, he is a God who's gracious and kind and helps us in those moments. No matter the circumstance, and, and, and when I, want, I, don't, I, don't, I want to be very careful when I say that. I don't say that lightly because I know that a lot of us in here have had horrible circumstances. Maybe you're in it now. Maybe you're going through some kind of suffering. Maybe you're, you're dealing with a hard thing. And I don't, I, don't, so I don't want to make light of that. But the suffering that we go through does not indicate God's abandoning you. In fact, it's sometimes in those moments where we can actually see our hope clearer. So our hope is found in the eternal life with Jesus. And the implications of that hope begins with our faith in Jesus. Hope begins with faith. And so the hope that is laid up for us in heaven by God's grace, one of the things that it can also produce is assurance. Assurance of what? Assurance that in Christ... Our adoption is firm, that we've been brought into God's family. We are sons and daughters, not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus has done. We can have assurance that that's true. We can have assurance that our sins are forgiven. As John says in 1 John 1, 9, if we bring our sins and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. We can have assurance that that's true. And then we can have an assurance as we look to the future that our citizenship ultimately is not here. As Paul says in Philippians, our, our, our citizenship is not here, but really our, our citizenship is with Jesus and that he will one day return and bring us into his presence completely and that we get to enjoy his presence forever. 
We have an assurance of all those things. And so the implications of the hope that we had in the gospel, it transcends life um, and is in heaven for us. It's okay to want a good government, but our ultimate hope is not there. It's okay to want to be a good employee and be successful and to be a good at your job, but our hope is not found there. It's okay to want to have a close family and, and, and have ki- your kids do well in life, but our ultimate hope is not there. It's okay for you to be a Cowboy fan and hope every year that the, soup, this, the Super Bowl is ours and, you know, we're going to get it one of these days. But even so, the hope's not there, especially not there. I always got to get my Cowboy jabs in. Because unlike the hope of the gospel, all those things can disappoint us. Relationships can disappoint us. People will let us down. The cowboys will let us down. But who will not let us down is the fact that the gospel uh, is, who will not let us down is is Jesus. Because unlike, um, unlike all those other things, the gospel has its roots in heaven. All those other things have their roots here. And that matters. And what, and the way that Peter describes our hope uh, in Jesus, what does he say? He says it's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, perfect. And so it's this hope that Paul is talking about that ultimately um, their love stems from. How? How does their hope in the gospel, this, 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 this person who is, has eternal roots, how does this then promote love for one another? Look in verses 5 through 6. He says, because, he's, we actually, we go back in verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. All right, so what Paul does is, so he, he commends them for their faith and, the, and this hope that stems, uh, sorry, this hope in Jesus that's meant to, that produces this love in them. He commends them for these things. And then he, he, he kind of widens the lens a little bit of this gospel hope. He says, this gospel hope is producing fruit all over the world, right? Uh, he's using a bit of hyperbole here in that, like, it's obviously there's still parts of the world that didn't have the gospel yet, but, but what he's saying is, that, man, this, man, the hope and message of Jesus uh, making all things new, reconciling sinners to himself, man, this thing is exploding, right? And this was about maybe 30 or so, 20 or 30 years after Jesus had, had, had ascended. He said, man, this gospel is, is exploding. This fruit, there is fruit bearing from the gospel all over the world, And it's almost like he's saying these things to get them hyped and excited. Like, hey, this thing that you're a part of, this faith, it's just not happening. The fruit's not just among you, but it's among everywhere. Like I said, he he widens the lens, but then he brings it back in. He brings it back in. He says, like I said, this fruit that's increasing as it also does among you. Um, and, And he says, 
uh, and he says, as it does, also does among you, um, as it, uh, since the day you heard it and understood the God, uh, sorry, understood the grace of God in truth. Uh, and so, so what he's doing is that the fruit of the gospel, right, it's bearing fruit around the world, and it's also bearing fruit around them. And what he's saying is that the, this, this hope that you have, why, uh, one of the reasons why it's able, you're able to have this love for one another, because ultimately the gospel brings about a community that would have never been brought about before. The gospel brings about a community of people that would have never been uh, otherwise brought together, right? Um, the Colossian church was, was, was a mixed bag probably. You had probably people of different statuses. Um, we know you had slaves and masters. You know, we know you had um, people who may have had somewhat of a Jewish background and more of a pagan background. And what this hope does is ultimately brought together a group of people who would have normally never been brought together before. And what happens when this group of people are coming together, um, because of the hope that they had in Jesus, they have this love for one another. They have this love for one another. And when did they start bearing this fruit of love? What does he say? Since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Key in on that phrase, understood the grace of God in truth. What is the truth? The truth is, all of them, the Colossians, all of us in San Angelo, Texas, the truth is right, that you and I had no shot at all of reconciling ourselves back to Jesus. Paul says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so it doesn't matter our backgrounds. It doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter our futures. It doesn't matter our preferences or opinions. It doesn't matter our race or our socioeconomic status. It didn't matter for them or for us. At the end of the day, the truth of the gospel is that all of us started from the same place of separation um, from God, and all of us needed Jesus to reconcile us back to the Father. And what that does is that whenever we uh, understand that all of us equally needed God's grace, it wasn't that I just needed some and you needed more. All of us had the same amount of grace that we needed from God to reconcile us back to himself. When we understand that, when we understand that all of us have started from the same position All of us were all once far off and have been brought near by Jesus. When we understand this common faith, man, what that can do is produce love for one another. When we understand the love that we have received equally, the love we've received from our Father, the love we received from Jesus, his sacrificial love on the cross, what that then does should produce is a love for one another because all of us have the same beginning, and if we're in Christ, all of us have the same outcome. And so a church that bears fruit um, understands the grace that they've received. We've, we understand the grace that God has given us. And that word understand there means, isn't just like, yeah, I get it, I understand, huh? It's a close uh, acquaintance with. It's a nearness. It's a, yeah, I don't just understand it up here, but I get it here. That's, that's what that word is saying. And so a church that gets that is a church that will produce the kind of love for one another um, that doesn't just love the people that are easy to love. 
or doesn't just love the people that kind of look like us or think like us, but rather it's a kind of love that transcends what would normally be a social or cultural barrier because of a common faith. A church that bears fruit will ultimately orient itself around the gospel. The object of our faith is Jesus. The, the, the object of our hope is Jesus. And the love that we have for one another revolves around the love that Christ has shown us. And so, so, so this is the kind of church that Paul is thankful for. The church, this is the kind of fruit um, that this, this church is bearing. And, and, and this is the kind of fruit, this church I hope for us as Redeemer to be. is a church that loves one another well despite the things um, that could potentially separate us. And so, so you, you may or may not know, um, for those of y'all in here, uh, Redeemer San Angelo, we, we are still in our infancy. Um, we're only a week old, so we, we still got the diapers on. Um, we're, we're, we're very, 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 very young. Um, we've been, you know, working towards this, you know, for over a year now. Um, we've been having, you know, interest meetings and core team meetings and things like that. Uh, but in, in reality is, uh, we're young. We're a young church. Uh, but as I look around this room, only Jesus could bring about this group of people. Only Jesus could bring about this group of people. I know some of us in here, um, and not too long ago, this is, this is me. Um, man, we, we, we were here as the Journey Bible Church. Um, we were in this room. Um, and, and we were just part of the life uh, of the Journey Bible Church. And a lot of us uh, are grieving still. Grieving of something that has been so near and dear to us for the last 15 years. And though we might be excited that how the Lord has brought these two bodies together, um, man, this new norm still feels new. And it's different and it's hard. And we might be wondering, man, where's my place at Redeemer? Some of you, also like myself, um, you've been with Redeemer since, since, since the beginning, um, since you've been coming to the interest meetings, the core team gatherings. Um, maybe you had an expectation that we were going in one way, then all of a sudden when this, this merging of two bodies happened, Though we know the Lord has been so in this thing and leading and, 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 and we know he's moving, there might have been a, still a sense of some expectations. You thought this thing was going to look different. And you too might be asking yourself, where's, where's my place here? And then I know there's a lot of you in this room. Um, and maybe you've, you've heard about Redeemer through a friend uh, or online, um, or maybe you were invited by somebody else um, or maybe you're coming from a place um, where you, you, you're leaving church hurt, um, or maybe you're trying to come to a place where you're still trying to trust Christians again, or maybe you, you are in here aren't even a Christian. You're fine, trying to figure out what this, this Jesus thing is all about. Let, me, let, let you hear me say that we are so glad that you are here. We are so glad, regardless of where you are on that spectrum, we are so glad that you are here. But you too, might also be asking the question, where, where, where is my place in Redeemer? See, all, all of us in this room, 
I think it's all these different things that could have the potential for disunity and for division um, is present. But but all of us um, in this room um, are, are, are processing a lot of changes, a lot of things that are are going on. But 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 here's what I know: is that as a church who's still in its diapers. Um, we are in a season that we are, are learning what it means to live and grow and love one another. We are in this season, um, very delicate season, this very tender season of what does it look like for, for this church family who has all these different experiences and backgrounds? What does it look like for us to love one another well? What does it look like to help one another? What does it look like to be involved in one another's lives? What does it look like to love in a way that we've been loved through the gospel? What does it look like? How does the gospel hope affect the way we love one another? And, and so in this delicate season um, that we're in, uh, I want to suggest two things for us to think about as we're, in, as we're trying to navigate everyone to some extent. Man, what, where, where is my place here? Two things that come to mind, I think, that are important for us to grasp that can bear the fruit of love um, that Paul's talking about here. Prayer and proximity. Prayer and proximity. What can be a unifying thing? Prayer. When we pray together and for, and for one another, it's amazing to see how that disarms us. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's the same God we're asking help to. It's the same God that we are praying to. When we're praying for the same things, when we're praying for our city, for our nation, for other nations, it's amazing how praying together can disarm one another. And when we pray together and for one another, Something happens. So, something spiritual happens that we can't always necessarily put our finger on, but we un- understand that the Spirit is at work, and what He does in a supernatural way is produce love and grace and mercy for one another. And so when we pray together, what that can do is disarm us, because we all are coming to a posture of need, and we're all praying to a God who's able to meet that need. That's why in this season right now, we have our prayer nights. Every, every Wednesday from 7 to 8, we're in here, we're praying. Um, and this isn't a, a way just to dupe you, hey, we have prayer now, but really it's just us talking for an hour. No, it, it, we really, we're coming to pray and worship our Father and our King because at the end of the day, we know that's the place. Regardless of where our experiences are, that's the place where we do battle. That's the place where we can grow in love for one another. That's the place in which we can help and carry one another's burdens. Regard, and like I said, I know in this room, even just talk on the topic of church alone, we have burdens and things that we're carrying. I am. I know I am. But prayer can easily be this, this disarming thing. And so we don't just pray. No, we pray. We pray. But we also, like I said, we also want to build spaces where we have close proximity with one another. Proximity uh, on top of prayer, praying for one another and praying together um, can build relationships and it can build empathy. What, pra- what proximity, being in close relationship with one another can easily do is that it can 
help us understand the different stories and backgrounds of people in this room, and it can um, help us do away with the false assumptions that we might have for one another. Being in close relationship with one another, and that's why this semester, um, like I said, we're labeling this, this, this season as preparing community. Um, and we want the semester to be a place, where, a, a place where we are in close proximity with one another. So we'll have things coming up where we have opportunities to do that. In fact, if you're a youth and student in here, little plug, Friday, we're having a pool party. If you want to know more, come and come talk to me afterwards. Yeah. So, right. But, we, but we're, our hope is to, plan, is to have spaces in which we have, are having close proximity with one another. But on top of that, um, proximity also happens at the dinner table. Proximity also happens in our homes when we invite one another to uh, our tables, to coffee, to lunch, right? Hospitality is so important um, because it provides this space in which we welcome and we reflect the fact that we've also been welcomed into Christ's presence. As we've been welcomed, as the gospel says that we have been welcomed by the Father, we then in turn want to be a people who also welcome in others, and so prayer and proximity, I think, for us, for us in this season is going to be so important. So important. And, and, and what we have to understand, though, is, and, and worship team, you guys can go ahead and come on up. Understanding that there's a whole spectrum of, of, of church backgrounds here. Um, church experiences in this room that have led us to this place. And thank God, and you are not here by an accident, whoever you are here today. But what, but what, despite the differences, despite the various hurts that we have, despite the various burdens that we're carrying, the scars that we're carrying, the grieving of things that we once had, not here anymore, and there's space, let me just say, it, there is space for that here. There is space for grief. I'm talking specifically on, on, on expectations in church. But despite all those things, we come to the same table. We come to the same table. We celebrate the fact that at the end of the day, all of us, despite the things that we carry, who have put our faith in Christ, man, we have been welcomed into Jesus' table. His body broken for us and his blood spilled for us uh, unites us not only to God, the Father, but it unites us to one another because it is the same and shared hope that we have. And so we, in a minute, are going to take communion together. And there's the, if, for those who, if this is your first time, we have the, it's a self-serve. We have the elements in the back. So um, as you're ready, in just a moment, feel free to take them. But as we take communion together, not only would you remind yourself that what we're partaking in is this sense of that I am welcomed in by the creator God because of the blood and body of Christ broken for me. And I have this assurance of all these things that we talked about today. But also think, man, I have now united to, to my brothers and sisters in Christ who are in this room who are also partaking with me. And so would we remember that all of us are coming to the same table? And so we need to remember that 
Christ is the one who's going to produce fruit within us. A church that places their faith, their hope, and their love for one another around the gospel is a church that will bear fruit. When Jesus is the center of all those things, we will be a church that bears fruit. So Lord, that is my hope for us. God, I know we are coming into this room with different burdens and church scars and different things that are just other things that are going on in our lives. Lord, my hope and prayer is in the next moments as we are partaking in communion together, would you remind our own souls that this is where true life is found in your body, in your blood. True hope is found in you and you alone. There is nothing of this world that can provide the same kind of hope, the same kind of assurance, the same kind of joy other than you, Lord Jesus. And so I ask and I pray that you would help all of us know that as we partake together. Lord, I pray that this would be a church in which we um, love one another well, that we are quick to listen, quick to empathize, quick to here. I pray, God, that you would continue to reconcile us to one another, that you would continue to let this be a place that we love one another so well that it reflects the love that you have shown us and it displays to our city what the gospel truly is. So, Lord, we ask because it is only you who can do all these things. So, Spirit, We ask that you would. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.